Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And this is Adam. And we are here with several really awesome guests. Hi, um, my name is Tamara Shogalu, and I'm a, a filmmaker and a immersive media artist uh, based in Amsterdam and Los Angeles. And I make uh, films and interactive works, mostly in animation that have um, socially relevant themes. Hey, hello, my name is Ahmed. I'm a visual artist. I work with multiple techniques such as sculptures, performances, photography, and so on. Uh, I'm originally from Sudan and I am based in Oslo, in Norway. Hi, I'm Nada. I am uh, worked on Tamara with the project and uh, started the project in 2012, which is now accumulation of Korean time of forced migration series. So we uh, both, I was a journalist at the time in Egypt, and we both worked on collecting a lot of the stories from 2012 together. And uh, I currently am a cultural anthropologist based in the U.S. Tamara, do you want to talk about how you got started with um, fil- in doing film work? Many years ago, I actually started making film because I, when I was an undergrad, I worked as, at this place called the Intercultural Community Center on my campus. I went to Occidental College for my bachelor's and my job was to design social justice relevant programming. So it was to get people on campus to open up to discuss different issues um, relating to various social justice issues. And I started playing around with film. At that point, I was studying economics. I was an economist in my past life. And I just started filming and thought that making short documentaries about different issues like uh, racism or immigration and stuff like that on campus would be an interesting way to get people to open up if it was from our environment. So I started teaching myself how to film and edit. And I really fell in love with it. But I never really knew that that could be a job at that point. And I just kept doing it um, while I was still doing economic, which is kind of what led me to Egypt. I went to Egypt um, at first as an economist to do economic related research. Um, And I kept pursuing doing film projects. And then I ultimately decided to go to film school to study filmmaking. And that kind of led me to making uh, more projects and, and started yeah, what I've been working on. I've been working in film and animation and new media for almost 10 years now, or over 10 years, like 12 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so for context, for people listening, uh, we reached out to Tamara after um, watching one of her films, um, which was about the experiences of queer people in Egypt. And it was an animated film. And I think what really stood out to me about the way it was done was how kind of animations can show something in kind of an abstracted way. So, you know, we can delve into like really difficult experiences without making it um, too real to watch. Yeah. And still making that like an access point for people. Yeah, it's a good way to keep things from being too triggering. Um, One, like one example is there was this scene with hieroglyphics and I just thought that was a cool way, yeah, to like abstract the topic um, while also portraying like where it's like where it is based in. And in another way, it it also though, it allows through that abstraction that allows for a more visceral and direct like representation of reality, especially uh, 
when we're dealing with contexts like queerness in Egypt or where people like for very valid reasons like cannot uh, be like represented themselves in film or in like any kind of cultural production there there's a way there there's a the expressionism of certain moments in the film to me felt like it captured the emotional reality of like that experience of forced migration and like of that kind of trauma that exists in these contexts in a way that I feel like just real life like live action maybe would not have in the same way uh, and being somebody who like I work in theater I often mix like theater of the real and like real stuff with abstractions and creating like these moments that are that are more heightened or stylized. I found that the way that this film did it, and I'm referring to specifically Half a Life because that's the one I watched. It's uh, it just I thought that the way you did it like was so evocative and beautiful and like the perfect amount of like not yes, it's not triggering and so on, but it's also capturing an emotional reality that I think you would not have with live action. Yeah, that was my takeaway too. Yeah, I mean, I think that animation has the power to do that because um or at least when i'm working in animation i mean visual cinema also tries to capture emotions but but there's i think the suspension of disbelief is much wider with animation so it gives you more freedom and the reason that we started the series as um animated was because a we knew that most people um in the region wouldn't be so open to speaking on camera and especially when speaking to marginalized communities we found that just having audio like made people open up more and be willing to share more of their personal reflections so i think that that allowed us and then um and then also animation allows us to protect people's identities so i think that that's definitely what guided our decision in making the whole series uh animated um for sure and thank you i appreciate it. i'm glad you guys connected to it but i think animation is definitely a powerful form in that way that it really allows for pushing on on how characters feel or see the world and creating those feelings in audiences yeah like also that that practical side is very real and mm-hmm. also like that's part of why this is a podcast um but but I also love how that just intersects with um the like artistic quality of like you're saying like what what is realism is it like about trying to get the most realistic picture or is it about trying to capture like an emotional essence of what's going on I'd love to hear more about how you all met and how this project came uh like the inception and like conception of this project and then the nature of what your collaboration has looked like uh in bringing this piece to life in different ways. Yeah, so I actually met Tamara first <laughs> in a refugee international film festival that was being run in Cairo. And I was actually a student in one of the um, um, like filmmaking workshops in the, as part of the festival itself. And I was in, uh, yeah, I was an undergrad at the time in Cairo. Tamara was one of my, uh, I don't know, I guess mentor or like film. Uh, I had no background in film, uh, so it was like, you know, kind of developing the story, kind of mentoring through the process. Um, and then I guess like a year later or maybe two years later, I can't remember, two or years later, I think. Tamara came back, wanted to start this project in uh, Cairo and then um, got in touch with me. And uh, yeah, I had then graduated and become a journalist. And it was right at the height. It was like a year after the 2011 protests and revolution. So it was like the perfect time to start collecting a lot of stories and really you know, document the experiences of a wide range of Egyptians around the country and, and really, you know, capture that moment of that 
time and yeah it was a very special experience but maybe Tamara could develop more on it yeah Nadra was my student <laughs> and and grew to be a very good friend and I think I so originally the project um was focusing mostly on women's voices and when we first started traveling we realized we wanted to expand like it there was a particular energy um we wanted to expand we realized that people were becoming more open in general and i don't know i thought like i'd spent a lot of years living in the middle east and jordan before and in general there was a way that people spoke about politics and when the revolution happened all of a sudden everyone had an opinion on everything and we were lucky enough to be traveling and just would find people even on the side of the street and have conversations with them and it was like a really incredible experience and then i met ahmed at a workshop here in the netherlands where we were both participants of this uh workshop at the queer and migrant film festival here and we just bonded and i thought he was amazing and that his work was incredible and i really thought that his story had a place in the in the series uh so i asked him if he could join and he said yes and yeah and that's kind of how it happened but you can expand on that yeah yeah can you talk about like your role in it yes we met in amsterdam in that workshop and uh what i found in samara is that this sensuality in conveying our voices i'm very concerned about how my voice is transferred and how is it i forgot the english word but how my voice is uh heard and received uh also in my work i kind of try to um, to mix honesty and also uh visual and uh sensible uh, creativity so uh we attack in a way multiple uh senses uh like hearing and vision and yeah uh we bonded very quickly and uh when she asked me to be a narrator uh, for the latest for the last part i thought it's a it's a very good project that i can be a part of and tamara are you up for talking about some of the other films that you you have been working on yeah sure as part of the series yeah, yeah. uh so the first part is the film half a life um which you all were discussing earlier the second part follows so the overall series focuses on four individuals and Ahmed is one of them another Adam is the other one and then there's two two women um a couple and the story um i broke it down kind of into parts of different parts of what it means to be um a migrant and i've moved around a lot of my life and a lot of those themes resonate with me as well and so the first part kind of explores like what would even make you want to leave your country because i think what i found shocking and what made me in particular want to focus on the queer voices and i remember nada and i having a lot of conversations about this because we knew that it could be a tricky thing to do and like especially in the egyptian context after having lived in the middle east for for a while i i felt like i had never really seen such a moment where like there was really a queer movement that was starting to grow and that this was being brought to the forefront and when i saw a lot of my friends or people that were part of my community who were very anti like i'm never going to move to the states or europe like i'm just going to make egypt awesome start fearing for their lives and feeling like they really had to leave kind of hits you very differently and i remember this one experience that one of the characters had um in the first film in half life and i just for for a year i mean it's take it took me like 
five years to be able to save enough money and like raise funds and to make the first film. So I spent, took a long time and I, um, I just could never get that story out of my mind. And I felt like this was something that the world needed to hear. And I started just thinking about how in major historical moments, often queer voices are erased from it. And having been there and seen that, like I saw like everyone in this community was a part of what was happening and had so much hope. And then to see that start going away, I felt like we had a responsibility to focus on these, these voices because there was a gap in what was happening there. So sorry, I detoured, but the the first part kind of explores what would make you want to leave your home. The second part goes more into what happens after you leave. So um, this couple has to leave Egypt and then it goes in through their process of searching for asylum in the Netherlands. And it's a virtual reality experience and it's kind of a hybrid. It has some game elements where you have to trace certain words in Arabic to unlock the next chapter because I really wanted to make it something where audiences, I feel like so often there's there's stories where people of color, especially that stories that are traumatic, we're just expected to like put our trauma out there for people to explore it. And I wanted to create something where there was a give and take with the audience and it felt more like a discussion. And I wanted, even though the dialogue was done in English, I wanted to include an Arabic element because the original, most of the original interviews were collected in Arabic. And I also felt like Arabic was a language that's been politicized and seen in a certain way where it's like people fall in love in Arabic also and people mount movements in Arabic and all these other things also happen in Arabic. So I wanted that to be central to the give and take and how and having people have to learn how to write in Arabic or think, you know, instead of it's a the shift of that. So we designed this experience where you go through that and there's two sort of alternate endings and then the audience are invited to discuss it. And then the final part, um, which Ahmed is the narrator in now that we're doing is like kind of like a, a catch up after 10 years with the first three characters and their experiences uh, after having lived in Europe and and this sort of concept of like, have, are you able to really make a new home somewhere else? Or are you just, is a part of you always missing somewhere else? and discussing that and and Ahmed opened up a lot about his experience because he had been in Norway and gone through the process like many years in advance from the other characters and reflecting on that and also what it's like to lose family or relatives and not be able to see them or the um, Ahmed's experience with going back to Sudan for the first time after I think it was seven years right Ahmed? Uh, after 10 years it was uh, precisely 10 years and one month and one day uh, from uh, not seeing my family. Um, if you'd like do you want to talk a little bit about um, what that experience was like for you coming back? I mean I guess we kind of touched on it before we were talking about the art on the wall behind you. Well um, I think Although it was uh, it was long, it was long, like ten years from not seeing my family, it was was heavy, honestly. But I think we, looking back at the experience, I think we all needed that. We needed to distance ourselves ourselves from each other and grow separately because we are just so uh, we were not getting along, and uh, that distance added some uh, some sense of wanting to understand and some compromising because we miss each other in a way. We wanted to see each other, but we have all these walls that we have to break 
before seeing each other and uh, making this experience into an experience that enriches both of our lives and uh, we can get we can get along after that so meeting my family was just so first like i mean 10 years and i i was very um during these years i was not very keen in seeing pictures or joining in like phone call uh, like uh, video calls and so because it always reminds me that i am I'm the one who is away. I'm the one who is not part of the family anymore. So I, I did not have like a slight uh, imagination of how members of my family looked like. Uh, so it was such a strong experience seeing how my mom, after 10 years from this middle-aged, uh, beautiful woman ter- turning into a grandma, uh, my sisters who were whom I left like in the 30s and now they are like have kids and yeah like kids that I when I when I left Sudan my sisters were not even married and uh, I have like kids that calls me uncle and this uh, little nephew whose name also is Ahmed and he's just a copy of me Uh, it was just a, a beautiful beautiful experience and yeah I think these years have added some sort of connection back I'm glad you got to reconnect but also like sometimes that that space is necessary yeah yeah, yeah. You know that's that, that space have kind of made us a bit closer and made us a bit uh, more understanding because yeah th- this is the price of belonging to each other and and being relatives we have to we have to compromise with something uh in order to be uh, a good family i i believe it is um yeah i i don't wish it to anyone but that's the way we we got along after that. What was your experience? Um, you talked a little bit about uh, why you felt like comfortable telling your experiences um, in this film project. But what was that actually like starting to tell your own story in like a more public or artistic setting? I just wanted to say something about Ahmed. I don't know if, if you all have followed Ahmed on, on social media or, or anything, but I remember when we met, one of the things that struck me was that Ahmed was the, one of the first people to come out publicly from Sudan, like at a time when no one was doing that. And I don't know, like I just found that extremely powerful and, and brave but i just wanted to, to oh. put that in there but yeah. you yeah 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 let's give credit there yeah yeah also i'm yeah. gonna follow you <laughs> yeah it was literally um, doing that right now <laughs> no it is um yeah that, it's true that um i got fed up of of the hypocrisy of the uh living a double life of having of giving access to to the whole society and dictating how i should live and how i should be myself and not uh so i decided 2015 or first in 2012 but publicly in 2015 to just uh put it out online and uh, deal with the consequences and lose whoever wants me differently. And from that time, I kind of work a lot with visibility and how to uh, be present as uh, myself and as uh, a person who is valuable as everyone in the society. I try uh, with my art to to bring out my voice and uh, to talk about the 
the stories and the experiences that have shaped my life and uh, the experiences that are still experienced by young LGBT plus uh, people in Sudan. Uh, so visibility is a very uh, central issue in my work. Uh, and when Tamara have asked me, I uh, yeah, I was uh, as all of you guys so amazed by her work, and I thought this is uh, I have to be part of that. And um, yeah, luckily she chose me to be part of uh, <laughs> a beautiful piece of art for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nada, do you want to talk about what it was like for you um, when you were you were kind of gathering stories and just what that experience was like um, from your perspective? Yeah, I'm also kind of curious, like, what are people's initial responses when you first ask to interview them about stuff? Because that's also something that we yeah. um, think about a lot. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, as Tamara mentioned, the project was kind of much more wide at the start, but then how the project developed over time by Tamara's kind of developing them into the three series was by focusing on the queer voices and kind of following actually the people we met in that initial stage of collecting this data. And like this moment, I mean, I can reflect generally on that moment was kind of a moment of general political opening in Egypt that had never kind of been experienced for at least, I mean, many people would say forever, <laughs> but some people would say like that was a very significant moment or maybe at least since the 50s, right? Since like Egypt's kind of independence. But I mean, that was a moment where it was just like yeah it was just like uh it just everybody was out expressing their feelings expressing their you know making their demands um and it was a very fresh moment of just people like yeah even though we you know we did the visual the kind of voice recordings as a way to you know respect the anonymity and allow for more freedom generally for people to express themselves I think there was generally that kind of fervor of just everyone um, um, wanting to really take part in, in, in making their voice heard one way or another, right? By either being present in a space of protest or by being in the home, but still, you know, taking part, you know, wanting to express their points of view about the moment, about their own hopeful. And it was a very hopeful moment generally, which was kind of really, I think that's why it was so special and we didn't realize it at the time is like, it was very fresh and raw and that moment of hopefulness unfortunately didn't last long. It kind of got overturned very easily, but I think it was still something that is important to capture and kind of allow people to reflect on, even if they may be very cynical today, but at least it's it's a very, um, yeah, I think it's very important to still have that and, and, and have captured that, I think. Yeah, and it's, I mean, moments of hope like that, even if it's it doesn't lead to the full desired, I guess, resolution, it can lead to things like this. Um, yeah, it almost feels just, like bittersweet to watch it now. It's yeah. like, oh. And Tamara, do you want to kind of describe the rest of the project? Yeah, so the um, yeah the second part, uh, the VR piece is called Another Dream. Um, mm-hmm. And then the final piece uh, that I was mentioning where Ahmed's a narrator is called They Call Me Asylum Seeker. And that piece originally was designed to be uh, an audio story. So there we wanted to make like a, we made an audio documentary of it, but it's also was designed to live in this um, location-based platform that like we've designed that allows people to touch projections and uh, while listening to spatial audio. But we wanted to really have the voices be the, the center and driving force of it. So people are able to be in sort of like a a more relaxed environment where they're just listening. And then there are certain interactions where they're able to touch things to unfold scenes. 
And then because of Corona, we had to um, adapt it. And now we're working actually as we speak <laughs> on, a, on a web version. And one of my very close friends who I've been trying to make this project happen with for like 11 years is a Jordanian painter um, named Mohammed Abdel Hadi. And he makes a lot of stuff that is has like issues of queer, like themes of queerness and migration within them. His family's Palestinian originally, so he's like a third generation uh, refugee. And that's something that I think is he's visually very able to convey strongly and capture these emotions in sort of surreal landscapes. So what we're doing is adapting some of his work and turning some of it into 3D and then allowing people through a website while listening to the audio to th travel through the pieces. First of all, that's awesome. Um, I love like the use of different formats and also like the immersive and interactive uh, yeah. components and kind of like twisting the format away from voyeurism. like. These people are just going to share their trauma and the audience is just going to kind of sit there and look at them. Yeah, like you were talking about more give and take, more having to like yeah. at least physically empathize, even if people don't necessarily have similar life experiences. Yeah, it like shifts some of the responsibility to the person taking in the art. Yeah, what's yeah. been, um, what kind of considerations have you been thinking about and taking it online and trying to keep that same idea of immersion and interactivity yeah i mean with this one i mean the whole series is driven by these voices and i always when i'm designing the experience or i try to make sure that that stays front and center and finding ways to make sure that people listen. So in, for example, with the VR, I had made a version that was super interactive and I realized that too much was going on that distracted people from listening. Okay, so we yeah. had to pare it down and simplify. So there's a lot of testing that goes with that. With this one, we're like spatializing the audio so that people are really immersed in those environments. And I think in all pieces, like I play a lot or tried to play a lot with the concept of memory and how we remember things to remember how things made us feel not necessarily every single detail or literal space um so i try to have that drive it and with this it's just kind of with the website is that people dive in so instead of scrolling up or down like you go into the website and then uh you scroll and are forced to you have to trigger or like um to be able to open up different visuals but the idea is that you kind of enter Hamude's like um world of these paintings while listening to the to the audio but the the focus is the voices is there a specific curated journey that's like has a specific linear structure or is it do you like go into different spatial is there a spatial like element to how the website functions or in terms of how you navigate the story yeah so there's um uh we're recreating these environments in 3d so you are going to be in a 3d space and then certain elements are going to be around you and they come from different places but the main interaction is just unlocking each moment um, and they're kind of broken up into acts. So you go through the different acts, but, and then there's on the website, uh, Nada is writing like a curatorial text 
um, to give like a historical context and framing to the whole experience and all three parts and kind of how they all fit. And then there's also a one hour version because we had interviewed like the grandmother of two of the characters, their cousins, and they're both gay. And their grandmother was kind of like their safe haven. And Nada and I had spoken to her about her experiences during the first revolution. And, and she was just this amazing, like super open person and seeing this multi-generational change. And I think in the family also says a lot about the history and political journey of, of movements in the region. So there's a one hour version that people will be able to listen to. And that's just audio. And then there's a 30 minute version that people are able to travel through these paintings and, and visual animations through them. That is so cool. That's I'm so amazing. excited. I'm so excited about everything, but especially that interview with the <laughs> grandmother. That sounds pretty Red. And I love that it breaks the the it breaks up the usual narrative that we hear about like each generation getting more and more progressive, quote yeah. unquote. But that's which not, is that's not, not reality. What happened. Yeah. yeah. That is so not true yeah. in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a that. soft spot for grandmas. <laughs> yeah, but that's gonna premiere on September 9th. So I'll share the link with y'all. Um, and um, as part of the Open City Documentary Film Festival in London, and then we're hoping to start touring it at museums. Um, it should be at the Arab American Museum in Detroit next year, um, with all three parts of the series. So we're still working that out. But yeah, that'll keep you follow us. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Awesome. That's great. I love the work that the Arab American Museum produces. That's really, really cool. They've yeah. been getting like really radical in recent years. Like, yeah. right. I was yeah. like, wow, I, I did not see that coming, but great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Before we wrap it up, um, do you all want to tell us where we can um, find each of you and your work and maybe shout out like any kind of projects you have coming up that people might want to check out besides the obvious one? Yeah. We just I'm really bad at Twitter. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> but I'm on there. Um, no, but you can find me on Instagram, Tuta Tete, <laughs> which is two nicknames. Basically, I have friends who call me Tete, and then some of my friends call me Tuta. So it's like, oh, I, like I just, it. I just mix that. You. And then um, you can also follow us at uh, Aduato Pictures and check out our work on the website or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I can be reached at Art by Ahmed Omar on Instagram and my very unupdated website. I'm so ashamed. Uh, AhmedOmar.com. What I'm working with right now is I have an ongoing uh, series that you can see on my Instagram uh, that documents the Sudanese revolutionary women. Uh, or the women who participated in the revolution or who lives uh, revolutionary lives compared to the Sudanese uh, social standard. I'm not that very good with uh, online stuff, but uh, I do my best and you can get a hint of what I do in real life. Otherwise, if you're in Australia or if you're going to uh, Australia soon, I don't know how, how's that going with, uh, with the coronavirus, but I'm part of the uh, Sydney Biennial. Uh, at the moment and it will be uh, on display until uh, the mid of September. And Nada, if you want, um, if there's any way people can follow you or contact you or if you want people to contact you through us. Yeah, I mean, all my work with Ado Ato is also, you can, through Ado Ato, you can, uh, which Tamara mentioned, uh, contact, you can find, you know, my involvement with the project so far and 
um yeah i'm sure if people want to personally get in touch they can go through you and otherwise i'll be moving on to kind of producing working more on research in uh, questions of migration but egypt regional kind of migration projects and that would Thank you all so much. This was, that was great. Amazing. Yeah, that was yeah. Thanks incredible. for taking the time to do this. Yeah, and I can't wait to see the premiere in September. Um, and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Queer Arabs, or get in touch with us over email, thequeerarabs at gmail .com. And all of our episodes can be found on most podcast apps and thequeerarabs.com.